Meat discoloration during retail display is a process characterized by changes in the pigment of meat. In beef, that discoloration has been linked back to muscle type. Studies regarding color stability of different pork muscles, however, have been much more limited. Is there a correlation? For that matter, might the same muscle tissues in pork and beef tend to be more prone to discoloration? Welcome to Feedstuffs in Focus, our podcast, taking a look at the big issues affecting the livestock, poultry, grain, and animal feed industries. I'm your host, Sarah Muirhead. This episode of Feedstuffs in Focus is sponsored by Topics Norseman. Swine genetics company Topics Norseman is renowned for its innovative approach to implementing new technologies and its continuous focus on cost-efficient and sustainable pig production. Research, innovation, and dissemination of genetic improvements are the cornerstone of the company. For more information, visit topicsnorseman.us. Joining us today to talk about meat discoloration at retail is Dr. Bailey Harsh, Assistant Professor of Meat Science in the Department of Animal Science at the University of Illinois. Dr. Harsh's research is dedicated to the development of application-focused solutions aimed at challenges in food and production agriculture and increasing consumer demand for meat products. So Bailey, talk to us about your research. What what is it all about and, and why does discoloration matter? Yeah, thanks, Sarah. So to tell you a little bit about some of the work that we have focused on here uh, within the meat science program at the University of Illinois, uh, we spent a little bit of time kind of delving into this topic of pork discoloration. And so you might have a little bit of familiarity, at least with beef discoloration. You've probably gone to the grocery store and seen the packages that are marked down in price for quick sale because they're starting to discolor. And so we know that discoloration really has relatively little uh, association with freshness or safety of that food product. But nonetheless, consumers have a a pretty negative association with any kind of deviation from what is the normal expected color. And so that phenomena of, of discoloration is very well understood in the beef industry to the point where uh, we actually have economic values associated with that lost value. It, uh, relates to the tune of about nearly $4 billion uh, in lost value annually to the meats industry. Um, however, on the pork side, there's relatively little uh, information about pork discoloration. Uh, and so what we had some interest in was better characterizing, does pork discolor? Uh, how does pork discolor? And ultimately, can we Uh, do things to better select for pigs in a way that uh, we might be able to reduce discoloration. Because ultimately, it comes down to not only an economic value issue, um, but also a sustainability issue, as we have made some pretty big strides to improve the sustainability of animal agriculture. Obviously, eliminating lost uh, product through food waste has a really big impact on sustainability as well. So you mentioned beef. How, how does pork discoloration differ from beef discoloration? Do you have any, any thoughts on that? Yeah, it's kind of a wild uh, consideration that, wait, you're, not, you're telling me it's not just the exact same? I would have expected that it would be the same. And so I think most consumers have an idea of what beef discoloration looks like, that it's kind of that browning hue that you see, uh, right? That's different from that kind of classical cherry red that we expect to see on fresh uh, steaks and, and roast and ground beef. 
Pork is a little bit different, uh, mostly because we actually get a, a variety of different hues that occur, uh, occur when pork starts to discolor. And so one example of that is that pork, uh, as it is in the, the display case for consumers, as we're looking at pork chops, some of those chops will over time start to brown a little bit, just like beef. Um, but I will tell you, that's actually a pretty small number. Uh, and so pork also tends to fade out in color. So it gets kind of like a, a grayish or a fading of that primary color. It starts to get um, really dark, dark red in some spots. Uh, and so it is very much dependent from pork loin to pork loin, what that discoloration is actually going to look like. And so that's where, right, there's obviously a, a big differentiation from beef and just what does that look like? But another factor that is kind of important and that we're really starting to, to dive into with a little bit of consumer research is do consumers actually see those things differently or do they tend to look at those things the same? So are there other traits that are more common in pork loin chops that might impact that rate of discoloration that we're talking about? Yeah. So we have uh, when we think about pork right, color specifically, we have for a long time within the, the meat quality research space evaluated right, the lightness of pork chops, redness of chops, pH and marbling are certain really, certainly really important characteristics as well. Uh, and so when we look at some of those traits that we can evaluate very easily, um, both on a pork packing plant, but also on those pork chops as they enter the retail case, uh, we do see some pretty big differences depending on whether that loin chop goes on to have a really long shelf life or whether it tends to discolor pretty quickly. And so some examples of that are when we think about uh, pork chops specifically, what you tend to see is that those pork chops that are darker in color, uh, they have a higher pH, they have a little bit more marbling, those chops ultimately tend to have longer shelf life uh, versus our chops that are a little bit paler in color. They tend to discolor in a way that at least is more noticeable uh, when we think about uh, the length of, of case life. So it sounds like you're able to somewhat to, to predict whether a pork chop will discolor more quickly, more slowly, and make some of those kinds of determinations. Yeah, and that was absolutely really kind of what uh, those initial observations led us to, was that if we can characterize right, what traits do pork loin chops have that go on to have a, a long shelf life, uh, can we start to think about predicting uh, whether or not pork chops will, will last in the case or will have a, a relatively short case life. And so what we have done was both pork loin chops, but we also wanted to look into some other cuts as well because we know that right, pork tenderloin and, and certainly some of our, our pork trim that's ultimately going to get made into sausages and, and ground pork as well were pretty important cuts also. Uh, and what you can, what our, our data has shown is that you actually can uh, predict to some degree which pork will have a, a longer case life and which will have a little bit shorter. Uh, and again, some of those quality traits that we measure very commonly in the pork industry, things like color, pH, uh, even things like yellowness, which I know is not something most people think of when you think of meat products. Yellowness is a sneaky one. It tends to pop up in meat quality research a lot. So we have a lot more, uh, we've, we've got a lot of questions about that. But uh, actually some of these meat quality traits we can use to predict whether or not that, that loin chop will have a, a longer case life or not. 
So we're already selecting pigs for say darker loin color and, and greater marbling. So you, what, you're, what I'm hearing you say is we might also be able to select for greater color stability. That at least was absolutely part of our initial question that because we have selected for, for color and marbling, right? If we can in fact uh, predict discoloration uh, and also if discoloration, we wanted to make sure that we weren't only single handedly selecting for greater loin chop color stability, but then negatively impacting all of our other cuts, right? That we wanted to make sure that those were all uh, improving in a positive direction together. And so we've kind of answered some of those questions now about that when improvements in the loin are made, they also translate to the pork tenderloin and to some of our shoulder muscles. Uh, ultimately, what that means for us is that in theory, absolutely, we could select um, for certain characteristics in, in pigs that would enable those, those loin chops that are produced from those pigs to, to have a, a longer case life. And again, ultimately what that's gonna mean for the pork industry uh, is greater economic advantage and also greater sustainability. Are you seeing, um, do you see consumers respond in the same way to say discolored pork as opposed to discolored beef? Is there, is it across the board, we just don't want it or are they a little more accepting of one over the other because of how they perhaps discolor or don't discolor? What, what do you see when it comes to the retail um, case? I have a lot of opinions on this, but we have very little data on it right now. So that is something that we actually are delving into uh, a pretty large series of consumer related research panels uh, where we are asking consumers to come into our meat science laboratory, actually observe pork chops in a display case. Uh, we're also going to do some things where we're going to hand people iPads and ask them uh, to rank pork chops in terms of preference and willingness to purchase. And what our goal with of that is better understanding, do consumers first even discriminate against discoloration in pork? We know that they do in beef. That's very well documented. It's not documented at all in pork. Um, but then a kind of secondary question is that when we think about all those different hues that discoloration may take in pork, we have a lot of interest in whether maybe consumers discriminate against this hue of discoloration differently than they do this one. So that is something that we actually have in progress right now. Um, but like I said, everything that I would share with you are just my own personal observations from spending a lot of time at grocery store retail cases. Right, exactly. We've probably all done it ourselves too. So what about, you talk a lot about, um, you know, the, the pork chop. You're looking at other cuts as well, right? We are. And your, so is that your main focus? Yeah. So we have focused primarily on the pork chop because when we think about pork quality, really in terms of lean cuts, the pork chop has been the, the gold standard for meat quality research. And that's the easiest cut to get access to in a commercial packing plant for meat quality research, uh, but also very easy to get access to in a, a retail display case at the grocery store. Um, so that's kind of the, the primary but again, we wanted to make sure that we can't make, uh, right, it's a little like single cha uh, trait chasing. We can't chase uh, color improvements in the loin to the detriment of other muscles. And so we had some interest in the tenderloin. The main reason we had some interest in that muscle is because that muscle in both beef and pork is known for having a really short case life. It's the main reason why uh, you don't see many tenderloins uh, that are packaged, at least in pork, 
right? As an overwrap case, you notice they're usually in a vacuum sealed bag, a lot of times in a marinade. Um, so part of that has to do with it. It is a, a, a color labile, which means it has a short uh, case life. It's a color labile muscle. Um, so we wanted to, to look at that muscle, but also some of the shoulder as well, since those cuts and muscles are frequently going into the trim that is going to end up in, in ground pork and, and sausages. Do you bring retailers into this at all in terms of getting their thoughts and opinions on, you know, the uh, marketability of some of these things? We're just starting to get into that space. And so, like I shared with you, um, I kind of think about this issue of discoloration as a, a little bit of a continuum. And there are, I think, meat color researchers other than myself who think about it this way too. And on one end of that spectrum is a, a very basic molecular chemistry looking at the molecule that actually gives, or the, the protein, excuse me, that gives meat color, looking mm -hmm. at changes in that protein and how we can improve uh, color shelf life by making changes uh, that might impact that protein. It's called myoglobin that gives meat color. Uh, but then on the other end of that spectrum is really more uh, consumer focus. So thinking about, so all these things that we're doing over here, right, are any of them actually moving the meter when we think about how consumers are purchasing pork chops or purchasing pork tenderloins, for example. And so I think we have a lot of work to go as far as bringing in the retailers uh, on that consumer side and, and also collecting some of that data from, from retailers themselves about whether or not they are frequently discounting uh, pork in the retail case. Are we to the point where pork producers need to be aware of some of these things? Is there anything that they can do? Or are we just like, we're still in the research stage, let's just see how this, this plays out, whether it comes down to your genetics or it comes down to management or, or whatever it might be. Yeah, we find that there's beyond really kind of the, the typical management practices, there's relatively little um, that we know of that has a, a, a broad impact on, on color shelf life. So really where we're focusing most of our efforts, at least in these early stages, uh, is around the genetic component. And so we've paired up with uh, or teamed up with a, a number of swine genetic companies. Top Pigs Norizen uh, would be one of those. And really kind of delving into as we're collecting this data, uh, can we then go back to the genetics of those pigs and really think about starting to select for improved color shelf life? And so I think this will start from the genetics end uh, and some companies probably using that as a way to differentiate right? Some, uh, some of the market advantage of their pigs. But uh, as for kind of general producers at this point, I think we're still, I think we're still a little ways away for having real recommendations. Any final thoughts to leave our listeners with here today? Mostly just uh, that, like I said, I appreciate the opportunity to talk with you guys a little bit about this. And uh, I think our, our lab is doing some, some unique stuff within the pork industry that as we have really kind of chased away some of what we thought about as uh, pork's really well-known problems, things like PSE, right? Things like halothane gene. We've gotten rid of some of those really big offenders in the way of meat quality. Uh, and now we are at kind of the intersection of, we have now picked the low-hanging fruit. Uh, what is a little higher up that's the next improvements as far as uh, making pork more appealing to consumers and ultimately uh, also making it more sustainable. So that's where we're uh, focused on with this research and uh, hopefully can, can produce some insights that might help with some of those things. 
Our thanks to Dr. Bailey Harsh for joining us here today. I'm Sarah Muirhead, and you've been listening to Feedstuffs in Focus. This episode of Feedstuffs in Focus is sponsored by Topics Norseman. Swine genetics company Topics Norseman is renowned for its innovative approach to implementing new technologies and its continuous focus on cost-efficient and sustainable pig production. Research, innovation, and dissemination of genetic improvements are the cornerstone of the company. For more information, visit topicsnorseman.us. If you would like to hear more conversations about some of the big issues affecting the livestock, poultry, grain, and animal feed industries, subscribe to Feedstuffs in Focus on your favorite podcast channel, including Apple and Google Podcasts. Until next time, have a great day and thank you for listening.